Don't worry about it. Well, worry is something that is all too often a needless element in our lives and too much a part of our lives. Now, this passage that we're going to look at this morning gives us very good news. In it, we have a command from the highest authority possible and therefore permission from the Almighty God of the universe to, from this day, forever and forward, forevermore, to cease from all worry. So let's look at it. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25, it says, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not life more than meat, and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. There, take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. And let's bow our heads in prayer as we look at this passage this morning. Father in heaven, thank you for the instruction that you're, you've given to us here. You gave it to your disciples in the Sermon on the Mount, and now it uh, is instruction that we can take and apply to our lives as well. And we pray, Lord, that this God the Holy Spirit would lead and direct as we look at this passage and meet the needs of each heart this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now there's a wonderful teaching about God, our Father, that stands behind our Savior's words in this passage. Theologians refer to it as the biblical doctrine of God's providence. The Bible tells us that God is our great provider. It teaches us that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness neither shadow of turning, according to James 1, verse 17. God in His providence provides all that is needed for His creation. Now expressed formally, the doctrine of providence describes God's act of continual involvement with all aspects of His creation in such a way that He does three things. Number one, He keeps all things that He created in existence, and maintains them in the properties with which He created them. Number two, He cooperates with all aspects of His creation in such a way as to sovereignly direct their actions and properties. And then thirdly, He so directs all aspects of His creation that they combine to fulfill His good purpose. And to put it 
Another way, we could say God's providence is demonstrated in the past by having His uh, his having created all aspects of creation in the present by His continual maintaining all aspects of the creation and in the future when He will have demonstrated all aspects of creation fulfilled His sovereign purpose perfectly. We read over in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. Now that's a glorious truth that the Bible calls us to believe, and He calls us to believe it wholeheartedly. And our belief in this truth is meant to be very practical as well, touching on every area of our lives. God's providence is not meant to be an abstract idea that's kept locked away in some theological textbook somewhere, but rather a truth that we're to take with us and use personally in our lives. Now listen this morning and let me speak to you personally and show you how the doctrine of God's providence is meant to have an impact on you and your life. Consider the creation aspect of God's providence. The Bible teaches us in very breathtaking terms, God acted providentially even in your own creation. King David prayed to God in a way that you can confidently claim to be true for you as well. Consider how you can rightly pray this prayer yourself along with David the psalmist. He said, For thou hast possessed my reins. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. He prayed that in Psalm 139, verse 13 through 16. And I, all I can say is, Wow. That is still the greatest anti-abortion passage of Scripture that I've ever come across. If we just get a hold of that, if America would get a hold of that truth, God has fearfully and wonderfully made us. You hear those words? They're meant to be understood as true for you as well as the psalmist. God's own eyes truly beheld your substance long before you were even physically formed in your mother's womb. You existed fully in His mind before you existed physically because He planned you and He purposed you before time. And whatever He purposes is as real as if it already was because it will surely come to be. And not only that, but He also planned every single one of our lives or our, our, our days for us in advance. And He fashioned them before we lived in them. And all that was to occur in them and long before any of them were realized even on a calendar. 
All your yesterdays were in His plan. All your tomorrows are in His plan, even now. And today, even this very moment, to be right here in this place listening to God's Word was God's divine plan for you from eternity. It's no mistake that we're here gathered together today. How precious you must be to Him. How immeasurably valuable you are to God. God was not only involved in planning you from eternity past, but now that you exist in creation as His beloved created being, He remains presently involved in every aspect of your life by maintaining that which He so lovingly created. He Himself serves as the basis of your continued existence because as the Bible tells us, in Him we live and move and have our being. Acts 17 and verse 28. God your Father constantly watches over you. He sustains you in every way. He cares for you continually as His own handiwork. The Bible says that we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. In the course of life, we may often be confused about which steps to take. And that's because of our fallen state as Jeremiah described it. He said, O oh Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. But the Bible also assures us that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. And though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. Now our Savior and the Lord is giving us a command this morning. Let's look at his words a bit closer, and let's begin by considering the command. The command. Do not worry about your life. Now the Greek word here that it's translated take no thought is actually a word that can mean more than the negative idea of anxiety. It means to be concerned. It means to be careful or, or something in a broad sense and it's often used for care in the perfectly good way. You know, Paul once used this word when he wrote instructions about marriage. He spoke to believers who lived in a certain culture and at a certain time of history in which he advised them not to marry, telling them, but I would have you, I would have you without carefulness. He that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he that is married careth for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 32 and 33. He meant that each situation had its own legitimate concerns. He wasn't saying that those concerns were bad, but just simply they were. Another time in which Paul used this word was in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 20. He was writing to the Philippians about his co-worker Timothy. And he said this, For I have, I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. And here again, the word is being used to describe something good. Concern for the condition of a specific local church. Now that's important. Because we must not think that Jesus is forbidding us 
for, from ever having a legitimate concern about things. We obviously, obviously need to have a measure of care for the things of, of those, uh, for the needs of those around us. Or to be legitimately concerned for things that fall under the sphere of our responsibility. Or even to give a reasonable measure of thought to the planning of our needs in the future. We certainly, uh, we're certainly to be concerned about the things our Father is concerned about. Rather, Jesus here is commanding us to cease or to stop from being concerned in a way that is sinful. He's commanding us to stop worrying, to stop having anxiety. Now, let me suggest to you a way that you can tell when normal concern has turned into a sinful state of worry. It becomes sinful whenever it's a product of taking God's providence out of the equation. Instead of trusting God in God's providential care, we doubt Him and we shift our trust over to our own sense of control instead. We believe it's all up to us to provide what God Himself has promised to provide to those who trust Him. And we become our own provider. And whenever we move, remove our sovereign Father from His power or His proper place, His proper place on the throne of our lives and try to exercise our own control, worry is an eventual result. And because we are horribly poor substitutes for God, our provider, worry, in, words, in other words, is the result of ignoring God's providence. Now, idolatry is when we take God off the throne and put ourselves there instead. And worry is the prayer to our new God. Now, do you realize that worry can actually be an act of blasphemy? It says, God, I don't trust you. Worry says, God, I don't believe you will really take care of me. God, I don't believe you will keep your word. It says, God, I don't believe you will do what you said you will do. And it says, God, I know more than you do about my situation. And as someone says, worry slanders every promise in God's word. Worry also places us in a state of spiritual vulnerability. The devil capitalizes on our worry. And just as he sought to take, make Eve doubt God's goodness, he does the same to us. And he tells us that we might well, we have a, re a right to be worried. He plants doubt in our minds. He tempts us to act on our doubts by turning us farther away from trust in God and His providential care and on other things that we think are more effective. And what's more, worry is a terrible witness to our faith as followers of Jesus. You know, those around us who hear us say, I'm a Christian and I have faith in Jesus Christ, and I trust in His providential care, and then they see us worry, they know we say one thing and we practice another. They see that when it comes right down to it, we really don't believe what we say we believe. And why would they be persuaded to trust God when uh, we're worrying 
and we can't trust him ourselves. Can you see how important it is that we do not worry? Let me just make three quick observations about Jesus' opening words here. He says, therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life. First of all, Jesus' words are in the form of a command. This is not a suggestion. He is giving a command. If you look carefully, you'll see that he issues this command three times. Once here in verse 25, then again in verse 31, and then in verse 34. He repeats this command in different ways, and he gives us several illustrations and applications between those different expressions of this command. Perhaps the reason he repeats this point to us so much is because we need to hear it often. So he gives us the form of a command. Secondly, his command was issued to those who are his followers. The Sermon on the Mount is not addressed to all people everywhere. It's addressed to a very specific group of people, His disciples, and those who have placed their faith in Him as Savior and Lord and who then follow Him in obedience. At the very beginning we read, And seeing the multitudes, He went up into the mountain, and when He was set, His disciples came unto Him, and He opened His mouth and taught them, saying, this was back in chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, And if we are followers of Jesus Christ, if we are truly among His disciples, then one characteristic of our lives will be that we obey His command and we stop worrying. There's a third observation here, and it's a command that has to do something with something very fundamental. Very fundamental. Or we could say very basic. We are not to worry about our lives, what we eat or drink, or about our bodies, what we will wear. Now you notice that Jesus begins by saying, Therefore I say unto you. It indicates to us that he, what He has said in the verses prior to this section serve as a basis for what He is saying now. And what He taught us in those verses was the danger of trying to lay up treasures here on earth, instead of laying up our treasures in heaven. His command has to do with the basic, everyday stuff. That's a very highly theological word as well. The stuff of our lives. The things we are concerned about to keep our bodies and souls together. And we're not to worry about the basic consumables of life, such as food and drink and clothing. And if we're not to worry about even such basic things, then we're clearly not to worry about anything else in life either. We're simply to cease from worry altogether. And isn't it good news that the Lord commands us to stop such destructive thing as worry? Now what a happy command this is to keep. Notice secondly, not only the command, but notice the reasons why we're not to worry. Our Lord gives us three basic reasons why we are not to worry. All of them have their basis in the great biblical truth of God's loving providential care for us. And again, let let me personalize this uh, to you, and uh, especially those of you who know Jesus Christ as your Savior. This This is something that He wants you to know, and He wants you to personalize. The first reason 
you don't have to worry about your life is because you are of great value to the Father. You are of great value. You will never have to persuade the Almighty God of the universe to care for you because you are are already so valuable to Him that He cares for you infinitely. Look how Jesus teaches us to us. Again, look at verse 25. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than the raiment, and the body more than, or, excuse me, the life more than the meat, and the body more than raiment? As a follower of Jesus, you know this already. Life isn't just a matter of keeping yourself alive with food and keeping yourself warm with clothing. Physical life certainly involves such things, but the pursuit of such things is not life's purpose. You know, many people who have no relationship with God think that life isn't any more than just the pursuit of things. They've reduced life to what they might call, we might call the animal level. Life to them is all about staying alive. And it means nothing more than that. It's just, it's not more than being a survivor. And that seems to be a popular theme in TV reality shows, you know, survivor. Why survived? Because that's what life's purpose is all about. But Jesus taught us what life is about in his great prayer to his father in John chapter 17. He prayed, and this is life eternal that they might know Thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom Thou hast sent. You see, life for you and me in Christ isn't just animal life, defined by staying alive until we die. Life for us is something eternal. And eternal life isn't all about what we eat, or what we drink, or what we put on our bodies. Eternal life is about our relationship a relationship of knowing the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. And so for you and me in Christ, life means much more than something reduced to just food and drink and clothing. It means above all else, a relationship in which we are infinitely and eternally valued by the God of providence. And so to help us understand this in a very down-to-earth way, Jesus calls us to look at the created world where God's providence is placed on display for us every day. Notice he says first, look at the birds. Look at the birds in verse 26. Behold the fowls of the air. I believe Jesus had a great sense of humor, don't you? Perhaps I've watched too many cartoons in my life. But I can't hardly read these words without imagining birds working on a farm. Kind of silly, I admit, Silly because, of course, birds don't sow seed. They don't reap a harvest of grain. They don't store up their grain in barns. Birds don't worry about things they can't do. But they don't need to. Because Jesus says, your heavenly Father feeds them. And as David prayed in Psalm 145 and verse 15 and 16, he said, the eyes of all wait upon thee, and thou givest them their meat in due season. Thou openest thine hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Are you not a part of that every living thing group? I hope you are. 
You are a part of that every living thing part that mentioned in that verse. Jesus calls us to look intently at the birds. He urges us to look at them until the truth of God's providential care for them sinks into your heart. I think there maybe is some value in bird watching. If it leads us to think about how God takes care of us just like He takes care of them. And then he asks, are you not much better than they? In other words, he's saying, are you not of more value than they? You know that you are, don't you? And if the gracious God of providence, who is also something to you that He is not to the birds, that is, He is your heavenly Father. If such a God so cares for the birds, then why should we worry that He won't care about us who are of greater value to Him? By the way, I believe this helps us understand the meaning behind Jesus' next question, and he wants us to take note of. He says, look at your height. Look at your height. Verse 27. Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto your stature? Now, some translations may say something like this. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? I think the original language allows for that kind of idea of adding one's life to one's lifespan. And it's certainly true that no amount of worry, of any amount, can extend your life. In fact, uh, if anything, worry shortens your life. But the word that Jesus uses here literally means a cubit. That means a unit of measurement. And this suggests to me the idea of of adding one's stature in the sense of height. I believe that Jesus is using this as a metaphor of our value in the eyes of God. You and I are of greater value to the Father than the birds are to Him, and yet He cares for them faithfully. And when it comes to importance, we have a greater stature in His eyes than the other things He cares for. I see that word stature, and I can't help but think I... As a law enforcement chaplain for the Washburn County Sheriff's Department, I uh, ride with uh, some of the officers on their, when they're on duty. And one of the things I wear is a bulletproof vest. Uh, because, you know, things happen these days. And just for a little protection. And uh, they were getting me a, a, a bulletproof vest one, one day, and, uh, or the... Chief Deputy was saying, I think we have one that fits a man of your stature. I like the way he said that. (laughs) But you know what? As far as being taller, we can't do anything about it. We are what we are. And we can't change that. And we can't worry and worry about it and change it. Now there's a third thing to observe about our lives that's found in verse 28 and 29. He says, look at the lilies. It paints another kind of funny picture in our minds, doesn't it? Can you imagine lilies slaving away at sewing machines? Again, that comes back to my cartoon days, I guess. They don't, of course. They can't, and yet they don't need to because our Father in Heaven clothes them with such detailed beauty that on closer examination it exceeds the beauty of the most glorious and wealthiest of all earthly kings, King Solomon. And once again, Jesus calls us to consider this. 
Think about it carefully and think about it intently until the truth of God's providential care sinks into your heart. Look at verse 30. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which it today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall He not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? If God so cares for the grass of the field, grass which only lasts for a day and which is of very little value, that it gets thrown into the furnace afterwards, then won't He show even greater care for you and me? Twice in these different comparisons, Jesus calls us to think carefully, consider what we see of God's providential care toward things that are of far less value to Him than we are. He calls us to think about these things until we come to trust the fact that He will certainly provide for our basic needs as well. And so listen, you who are in Christ you can confidently keep Jesus' command and put away your worry. Now there's another reason we don't have to worry, and that's because in Christ, you are a citizen of the Father's kingdom. Verse 31 and 32. Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. Now when Jesus speaks of the Gentiles here, He's using another figure of speech for unbelieving people. That is, people who do not have a relationship with Him by faith and are outside of the sphere of His favor. Such people make it their main purpose in life just to seek after what they shall eat and what they shall drink and what they shall wear. And all because they do not have any hope in the providence of God. And all of us were in the same condition at one time. We were all separated from the covenant relationship enjoyed by God's people. We were all once outsiders looking in. The Apostle Paul described our horrible condition when he wrote that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Ephesians 5 or 2.12 Think about that. Strangers from the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world. No wonder such people worry about what they're going to eat and what they're going to drink and what they're going to wear. They have no cause to hope in the providence of God. And we, we were all in the same condition until we trusted Jesus Christ and we came to be no longer in that condition we have hope. We live in a world as those who can say, if God is for us, who can be against us? And so we're not to live as those who have no hope. We're not to seek after the things that the Gentiles seek. Because as Jesus says, as your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. Literally, He knows with the perfect knowledge about all that we need. And not just some of the things nor just the things that we know that we need, but all of the things. Even the things we don't even know that we need yet. Can you imagine that? There are things you don't even know you need, but God knows about them. We're citizens of God's kingdom. Our citizenship is right now in heaven. 
And as citizens of the kingdom of our Heavenly Father, we live under a different set of priorities than the people of this world. They search with a desperate kind of seeking for things which they have no confidence that God in His providential care would give to them. And so we're told to seek after something else. Look at that very familiar verse, verse 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Listen, you don't have to worry because you're one of great value to the Father. And you also don't have to worry because you're a citizen of the Father's heavenly kingdom. And there's one more reason that Jesus gives to us, and that is you have not been designed by God to worry. Do you realize that? That's not in your design. Why do I say that? Well, because some people say, well, I'm a worrier. That's just the way I am. No. God did not design you to be a worrier. Look at the, what the Lord says in verse 34. He says, Take therefore no thought. There's that command again. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for itself, or things of itself, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Earlier in His sermon, Jesus taught us that we should pray, Give us this day our daily bread, right? Remember that in the prayer? Jesus taught us to limit our concern to only one day at a time. This day. Now this isn't to say that it's wrong to plan ahead for yourselves. I hope you have a plan for this week. I hope you have a plan for your future. You can set up Provision for the future. Those of you that burn wood, you better have some wood cut, right? You can't wait till the first day of snow and it gets cold and 30 degrees and say, oh, I need wood. Even the Bible tells us, go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways and be wise which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer and gathereth her food in the harvest. So it's not wrong to plan for the future. It's not wrong to be prepared for tomorrow. But given the fact that tomorrow is in the hand of our great God of providence, it's a sin to step out from, out from under God's providential care and worry about tomorrow. You and I should not worry about tomorrow for several reasons. First, we can't do anything about tomorrow. Today. Today is the only day we can do anything about, which is why today is when we do our worrying about tomorrow. Jesus says, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. And in saying this, He almost personifies tomorrow as something that can worry about itself without our help. He's speaking in this way to express to us that every day will have its own things to deal with. And we cannot deal with tomorrow's things today. I'm thankful for that. We're busy enough taking care of today. Can't take care of tomorrow too. We can only deal with today's things today because today is the only day we can deal with. Now God has limited us by design to one day at a time. This day is all we can handle. That's the way He made us. And Jesus teaches us not to worry about tomorrow's evil, evil as well. 
When tomorrow comes with all its own concerns, God will provide fresh grace for that day, just as He has for this one. Now, there's another reason we should not worry about tomorrow, and that's because we don't know what tomorrow's concerns will be, even if we could do anything about them. Ever had a plan for tomorrow? You said, I'm going to do this, this, and this. We're going to get up, and we're going to have breakfast, and we're going to do this. And tomorrow comes, and everything falls apart. A lot of nods of the head, yes. We've all been there, haven't we? In fact, we don't even know whether tomorrow will be a concern for us, do we? We may not make it to tomorrow. For one reason or another. Either it comes to be our time to leave this earth, or Jesus is going to come and take us to be with Him. And tomorrow, we don't have to worry about it. Tomorrow is in the hand of God, and today is the only day we can do anything about. The prophet Isaiah said, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Isaiah 26.3 And there, in a nutshell, is the secret to defeating worry in our lives. We must keep our minds stayed on our faithful provider Father. We must keep our trust in the Almighty God of Providence. And as we do, He Himself will keep us in perfect peace. Looking to Him, trusting in Him, displaces worry from our hearts. Philippians 4, 6 says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And Jesus invites us to trust in our Heavenly Father's provisional care. And so He commands us. And He also gives us permission to stop worrying about everything. And so it boils down to this. Do you trust in the providence of God or not? If you do not, you will worry. If you do trust in the providence of God and prove it by bringing your request to Him in prayer, He will empower you to stop worrying and He'll fill your heart with peace. Let's pray.